Decaying Review and Speaking to the Blind, celebrating 40 years of audio newspaper production. Welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times podcast, recorded at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre by our amazing volunteers. You can get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter or Instagram using at QNReview, that is at symbol C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. You can also contact us directly by emailing information at tunereview.com. That is I-N-F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N at symbol C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot C-O-M. Or by calling 0141 772 3976. That's 0141 772 3976. Evening Times, August 17. Opinion. Soraya Siddiq says, Labour believes education is the route out of poverty. It was heartwarming to see all the Glasgow kids' pictures on social media this week as proud parents posted and wished them well for the year ahead. There is always a buzz about campus this time of year as students start returning to universities and colleges, looking forward to their future and ready for a fresh start. It's that thing about new starts, blank pages, fresh sheets, uncomplicated and unused, a sense of anticipation and excitement. When I think about new beginnings, I think about the turn of the century in Glasgow, the millennium celebrations. We had a Labour government at Westminster and had just welcomed our first elected members to the Scottish Parliament. Fast forward 23 years and what have we got? News about corruption and scandal at Downing Street and at my very kindest assessment a shambles at Holyrood. And who is paying the price for this? Local government, Glasgow, us. Glasgow is at its lowest ebb at the moment. After six years of SNP administration in the city chambers and nearly 16 years of divisive nationalist politics along the road in Edinburgh, it is with horror that every day I see something different as our city lurches from crisis to crisis. Think about the LEZ and the administration's failure to properly communicate, leaving businesses and visitors in a flux. A reduction of nighttime bus services, the lack of social housing, college jobs and courses under threats of being cut, and a failure of the Scottish Parliament to deliver on the promised holiday food programme. It is simply not good enough. And the growing attainment gap, which was highlighted by last week's results, day reality, meaning that young people in cities with higher levels of poverty are at a bigger disadvantage. That means Glasgow's young people Remember a couple of weeks ago, those horrific statistics showed our city had the highest level of children living in poverty, are suffering in this widening 
of the attainment gap. You see, the point is this. If you start off in poverty, you get less opportunities, are less likely to attain qualifications and access well-paid, meaningful jobs. So the cycle continues. Children, particularly in our own city, have had a horrific few years. The onset of COVID, the recovery from a global pandemic, having to adapt to new ways of learning, the constant litany of news about the cost of living crisis, and all set in the backdrop of social media influencing and pressure. That is just the tip of the iceberg of what they are facing. Remember, this is a generation of teens who are facing one of the biggest revolutions of the modern era with the development of artificial intelligence, AI. It is our duty to look after them and safeguard their future. Pressure is real when you are a teenager and even further still when you are living in poverty and facing a very uncertain future. It is time that the Scottish Government paid attention to this and funded Glasgow adequately. Labour believe that education is the route out of poverty and key to children's life chances. The Nationalists believe Scotland being independent will magically make the difference and concentrate their efforts accordingly. It's clearly not working. It's letting children down. It's time for change. We need the fresh start. Glasgow needs a fresh start, says Soraya Siddiq. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 18th of August 2023, from the new section. Investigation to be carried out after Carnbrook House Hotel fire. Report by Ben Waddle. Cops have confirmed that an investigation is set to be carried out following a huge blaze that ripped apart a historic hotel in Glasgow. It comes after emergency service crews rushed to reports of a derelict building on fire on Busby Road last night. A fire ripped through the Carnbrook House Hotel, a large country house that was built by architect Alexander Cullen around 1900. The hotel, which was also previously used as a residential school, has been lying empty since 2019. Now, Police Scotland has confirmed that a joint investigation into the circumstances surrounding the fire will be carried out alongside the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service. Pictures from the incident show that the roof of the historic building has collapsed, while windows, some of which were already boarded up, have been damaged by the fire. In total, 10 fire service vehicles were originally sent to the scene, while, in the latest update, two appliances remain at the incident as firefighters continue to extinguish the blaze. It is understood no one has been injured in the Carmarnock bypass between Busby Road and Carmarnock Road, which was previously closed, has been reopened. A spokesperson for Police Scotland said, The Carmarnock bypass between Busby Road and Carmarnock Road is now open following its closure due to a building fire. A joint investigation into the circumstances surrounding the fire will be carried out in due course alongside the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service. A Scottish Fire and Rescue Service spokesperson said, 
We were alerted at 8.03pm on Thursday, August 17, to reports of a derelict building on fire, fire on Busby Road, Kermunnock, Glasgow. Operations Control mobilised a total of 10 appliances at the height of the fire to the scene. As of Friday, August 18, 12.06pm, there are two fire appliances at the scene where firefighters are continuing to extinguish the fire. There are no reported casualties. That report was by Ben Model. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 18th of August 2023, from the news section, Bridge of Weir Conman claims crime action is impacting his health. By James Mulholland, a callous businessman who made £1.7 million from exploiting seriously ill homeowners has told a court how a malicious proceeds of crime action is impacting his own health. Edwin McLaren, 58, told Judge Lord Arthurson that proceedings in the long-running case are having a negative impact on his well-being. The High Court in Edinburgh also heard McLaren, from Bridge of Weir, describe the action brought by prosecutors to recover his ill-gotten gains for the benefits of the public as malicious. He said the action was stopping him and his wife from accessing their pensions and had deprived his daughter of, the, of a quantity of jewellery. The court heard that Police Scotland had seized the jewellery during the probe into his and his wife's Lorraine's activities and he asked Lord Atherton to dismiss the action. However, on Friday... The judge refused to grant McLaren's request to dismiss the action in order to appear to return to court for another hearing next month. Lord Arthurson added, I refuse the application for dismissal. The pair were responsible for Scotland's longest ever criminal trial. McLaren was jailed for 11 years in 2017 for his involvement in a £1.6 million property fraud scheme. His wife Lorraine, also 58 and from Bridge of Weir, was found guilty of two charges involving a fraudulent mortgage application on their own home and money laundering involving a sum of £128,000. It is the latest episode in a long-running case involving the pair. He was found guilty of 29 charges after a trial at the High Court in Glasgow that began in September 2015 and he had evidence over 320 days. She was sentenced to two and a half years behind bars but was released after nine months. During their trial, a court heard how McLaren preyed on vulnerable people by arranging for the title deeds of their homes to be transferred to his associates without the victim's knowledge. The estimated cost of the 20-month trial was £7.5 million. Jurors heard of the couple's lavish lifestyle, which included luxury holidays in Dubai and spending £100,000 in a ring for her and private schools for their children. In 2021, Prosecutor Murder McTaggart told Lord Atherson that the Crown and Edmund McLaren had agreed that McLaren had made £1,722,366.64 during his course of criminal conduct. However, both sides had agreed that the Crown could only recover £4,000 from McLaren at that point in time. Meanwhile, Lorraine's advocate Tony Lenhing Casey told the court that she had also come to an agreement with the Crown she had made £694,000 from criminal conduct. However, prosecutors could only recover £4,215.38 from her at that time. The legislation on proceeds of crime actions 
means that the Crown can return to court to seize more money if it becomes aware that the McLarens have more assets. Now, the Crown has returned to court in a bid to seize more assets from the duo. The new sums being sought haven't been disclosed. Prosecutor Dan Byrne told the court at an earlier hearing that the Crown was seeking to use proceeds of crime legislation to confiscate cash in a Royal London pension account held by Edwin McLaren. Lord Arthurton fixed a procedural hearing to take place in the case for next month. On Friday, Edwin McLaren, who represented himself, said the current action was taking a toll on him. He added, This is affecting my health. It is damaging my health. I would ask your lordship to give us back my daughter's jewellery and to have access to our pensions. I ask you to dismiss the applications. It is malicious. However, Lord Arthurson refused to grant McLaren's motion. The case will next call on September the 26th, 2023 for a procedural hearing ahead of a full hearing in October this year. And that article was by James Mulholland. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 18th of August 2023, from the news section, Exclusive Clyde Bank residents vow to fight battery storage plans by Tom Grant. Clyde Bank politicians have joined residents in voicing their opposition to plans for a battery storage facility near Faithley and the way a public consultation was handled. MSP Martin Doherty Hughes and councillors from both the SNP and Labour added their voices to the growing number of people coming out against the bid from Green Power Consultants to build a 560 megawatt energy facility on 29 hectares of Greenbelt fields next to Cochnell Road. We previously reported how nearby homeowners close to the proposed substation site reacted with fury at the plans and the way the resident consultation had been handled. Over the last few weeks, Company AHH consultants held two consultation days at Skypoint. However, they were accused of let- only lettering six residents and trying to conduct the information open days without the knowledge of the wider Clydebank community. Now the area's MSP has weighed into the discussion, admitting locals from across the area deserve to have their say. Mr Doherty Hughes said, I've heard from a number of residents who have raised valid concerns about the site of this proposed development. Whilst we do need more battery storage facilities to reduce dependency on fossil fuels, it's important that these plants are in the right locations. I'm unconvinced that building large-scale battery sites on Greenbelt land next to residential properties is sensible or necessary. There's a real worry not just about noise disruption, but also the risk of fire posed by these types of battery storage plants. At 29 hectares, this is a significant development and it's concerning that only a handful of faithful residents were included in the initial consultation. I'd urge the de- developer to extend its consultation to the wider community. It's vital that the views of residents are fully taken into account. Fellow SNP member and faithfully councillor Gordon Scanlon told the Glasgow Times he attended the consultations and was left with more questions than answers. Councillor Scanlon said, I think it is unacceptable how the consultation for this project was undertaken. Although I understand the proposed project is within the Eastern Bartonshire boundary, the fact that faithful residents were not consulted is not acceptable given the effect on the local area and the close proximity to our residents. 
I attended the recent consultation at Skypoint and I completely understand residents' frustrations. Whilst I am open-minded to solutions to both our energy and climate challenges, residents are understandably concerned at issues with the current project, including potential waste and storage issues. The fact the planning developer couldn't answer any of these questions obviously raises concerns and I would advise any residents to contact the developer as the consultation is still running until August 22. According to AAH plans, the battery facility would be capable of storing and releasing enough energy to power approximately 165,000 homes and save 240,000 tonnes of carbon annually. It would comprise a number of containerised units to house battery energy storage systems and associated ancillary infrastructure. Each container will have the appearance of a standard metal ISO slash shipping container and soundproofing measures will be implemented. It is understood the plans won't go before the Council or a local planning committee. Instead, they will be considered by the Scottish Government's Energy Consents Unit. Speaking to the Glasgow Times, convener and spokesperson of the Planning and Licensing Committees and Faithless Labour Councillor, Lawrence O'Neill, advised it is his intention to put an official objection in against the bid. AEH consultants have been approached for comment but have failed to respond to requests. And the article was an exclusive by Tom Grant. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 18th of August 2023, from the news section, Man caught driving up to 100 miles per hour on Glasgow's M8 by Connor Gordon, court reporter. A man caught driving up to 100 miles per hour who claimed he was being chased by another motorist has been fined £300. Sad Yusuf sped off down Glasgow's M8 motorway on October the 2nd, 2021. The 28-year-old of Renfrew undertook a car and repeatedly accelerated harshly as police looked on. He later claimed that rubbish had been thrown at his car and comments were made towards him. Yusuf pleaded guilty at Glasgow Sheriff Court to careless driving. The court heard that Yusuf was spotted pulling away at speed. Officers maintained their distance meantime. Prosecutor Ailey Wright said, The speed of the vehicle was up to but not over 100 miles per hour for over 0.2 miles. Yusuf went on to tailgate a slow-moving car aggressively to get them to move away. He then accelerated harshly when the car moved away. Yusuf tailgated a second vehicle before moving lane to undertake them. He then moved in front of that vehicle and accelerated harshly. Police activated their blue lights and stopped Yusuf. Miss Wright said, Yusuf told officers that his manner of driving was to try and get away from other vehicles. He said he was being chased by another vehicle. Officers stated that they did not see any other vehicle driving in a similar manner to Yusuf. Richard Freeman, defending, told the court that his client was ahead of a vehicle in the motorway earlier on. It was stated that the driver threw items at Yusuf's car and made abusive comments towards him. Mr Freeman added, he drove off in the motorway. This is why he said he drove up to 100 miles per hour for 15 seconds. Mr Yusuf accepts that the third party vehicle involved was no longer a threat to him. It was revealed that Yusuf, a dad of two who works for his father's business, has a previous conviction for careless driving from 2014. 
and the article was by Connor Gordon. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 18th of August 2023, from a news section, Rapist sexually abused two young girls when he was aged 12 to 16, by Dave Finlay. A rapist who sexually abused two young girls when he was still a schoolboy was jailed for six years on Friday. Connor Adams repeatedly preyed on the child victims from when they were age five and instructed one girl not to reveal his behaviour towards her. A judge told Adams, now 25, at the High Court in Edinburgh, you have been convicted of very serious offences committed by you when you were aged between 12 and 16. Judge Thomas Welsh KC said Adams had told jurors at his earlier trial that the children he abused were wicked liars, but was disbelieved. The judge said that he acknowledged the damage caused by Adams offending as detailed in a victim statement by the girl who was raped. He said Adams was a first offender who committed the crimes as a young person and there appeared to be no recurrence of such behaviour. But the judge told him he was satisfied that the offences were so serious because of their nature, the ages of the young children, the harm caused and the frequency with which they were committed that a non-custodial sentence was not an option. He told Adams, Had you been an adult when you committed these offences, a sentence of 12 years custody would have been justified. The judge said that taking into account of his age and the time of the crimes and his lack of maturity, he would restrict the prison term to six years. He told Adams, formerly of Newmount Crescent, Straven in South Lanarkshire, that he would be placed on the sex offenders register indefinitely. Adams had earlier stood trial at the High Court in Lanark, where he was found guilty of sexually assaulting both girls in South Lanarkshire between 2011 and 2014. He pulled down the lower clothing of one child and molested her and, on one occasion, put a hand over her mouth and raped her. He also put a hand over the mouth of the second girl and put her on his lap and sexually abused her. Defence counsel Wendy Colross told the court that Adams was understandably very anxious at the prospect of receiving a prison sentence. She said he was very young at the time of the crimes but there had been no further offending since then. The defence counsel said, he does maintain he is not guilty of the charges the jury convicted him of. He has no other cases and no other convictions. She said that sentencing guidelines for young people applied in the case and the court had to have regard to the intellectual and emotional maturity of Adams at the time of the offences were committed. Mrs Corross said, While maintaining his innocence, he does accept the offences of which he was convicted are extremely serious. And that article was written by Dave Finlay. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 18th of August 2023, from the news section, exclusive, Springburn Man Kicks Off in Glasgow's Sunbed Shop, by Conor Gordon, court reporter. A drunken lout hurled abuse in a sunbed shop as he was unable to open his cubicle. Peter Ross, 45, made the remarks to Francis Ann Ferguson at Hot Salon in Glasgow's city centre on January 28. Glasgow Sheriff Court heard Ross entered the shop while under the influence of alcohol. He entered one of the tanning rooms and a noise was heard which concerned Miss Ferguson. She believed that Ross may have fallen down. Prosecutor Ailey MacDonald said, She asked him if he was alright through the door. Ross shouted, You are taking the pee, asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. 
I will take the P asterisk 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 out of you. He was asked to leave, to which he started shouting and swearing at her. He shouted, Phone the F asterisk 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 ing please. Get the F asterisk 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 ing please down. Police attended and arrested Ross. He pleaded guilty to behaving in a threatening or abusive manner. Declan O'Keefe, defending, told the court that his client has trouble with alcohol. The lawyer added, he is not a regular user of sunbeds. He went while under the influence. He said there was a cubicle to go in and he was unable to unlock the cubicle for some reason. He was panicking and banging. He overreacted and accepts the behaviour was embarrassing. Sheriff Stuart Reid ordered Ross of the city Springburn to pay a fine of £245. And the article was an exclusive by Connor Gordon. Evening Times, August 18. Lifestyle. Pals set up free running group in Glasgow's south side. Report by Taylor Murray. A pair of friends have got their community up and running after starting a free class. Sam Gage and Scott King, both aged 26, have started a free beginner running club in the Cathcart community in the city's south side after recently moving into the area. The pair, who are very fitness-focused, wanted to start a class that would help people get out of the house and keep active, as well as meet others in their new community. Sam, who is originally from Neilston, has always been into sports such as running, rugby and football, and he recently completed two ultra-marathons on the same day. He said, since starting the classes three weeks ago, the response has been incredible. We wanted to start something like this, as it was a good way to meet like-minded people in the community. Plus, having only moved in a month ago, there was no better time to do it. People have been messaging us, saying how it has been really good for the community, as there has not been something like this before for free. The classes take place at Homelie Park, in Cathcart and run from Monday to Friday at 6am. The pair have also started their own brand that is connected with the class called COBA, which allows people not in the area to still benefit from tips that they give. Scott, who is from Newton Merns, has competed in competitions for Taekwondo and Muay Thai fighting highlights that the group is for everyone, no matter the level of running experience. And he said, We have a WhatsApp chat that we put times we run in and the schedule for the week so people know what is happening. The range of the group goes from people who have done marathons before to some who have never done any sort of length. The goal was to create a consistent class that people could come along to and help improve their fitness as we will always be doing it. Creating COBA 
allows us to post what we do for people a lot further than this community and ultimately helps others benefit from what those in the class do from afar. The aim for Sam and Scott is to get everyone who comes to the classes to be able to compete the 5k park run at Victoria Park at the end of September. They hope that it also shows people what can be achieved if they take small steps towards an end goal. Scott added, the goal of the park run is just the start and we want to get everyone who comes and sticks with it to be able to complete that. We hope that with these free classes, we can get as many people to be able to compete a 5k as possible and hopefully create a small running community that people can be proud to be part of. Report by Taylor Murray Glasgow Times News on Monday the 21st of August Children's television channel to close after 40 years. An article written by Molly Court. It's been a firm favourite for decades, entertaining generations before the school run and at bedtimes. But now children's television channel CITV will be ending after 40 years as the broadcaster introduces ITVX Kids, the children's service on ITV's new streaming service ITVX. Many will remember watching the likes of Jungle Run, My Parents Are Aliens, Rainbow, Rosie and Jim and hundreds more since CITV first launched in 1983. ITV says the change comes due to the way parents are streaming television shows for their children in the ever-changing digital ways. ITV told Sky News, As a consequence of this new streaming approach and responding to the changing ways children and their parents are increasingly accessing content, the CITV broadcast channel will close after the summer holidays on the 1st of September. Actor Matthew Kelly was the first presenter on the channel in 1983, before Stephen Mulhern and Danielle Nichols became the hosts in 1993. Sky News adds... ITV says ITVX Kids will supercharge its presence in streaming, doubling its current kids' content offering with more than 100 shows and over 1,000 hours of programming, including comedy, game shows, live action, animation and sport. The new entertainment streaming service will be aimed at school-age and preschool-age children, ITV has confirmed. The news comes as the BBC recently announced its own plans to axe another well-loved children's channel, CBBC, by 2025, the home of Blue Peter and Newsround. One viewer who said it was the end of an era wrote, So it's confirmed that CITV will shut down on September the 1st. Well, and truly the end of an era. I grew up with that channel, with shows such as Horrid Henry Jungle Run and Art Attack. CBBC is going soon as well. Sad times for the kids' TV industry. TV presenter Michael Underwood commented, CITV is closing on the 1st of September. I suppose it was inevitable, but that doesn't make it any less sad. I had so many memorable moments on children's ITV and was fortunate enough to present on the legendary Jungle Run. It was easily one of the best experiences I had on children's television. Another fan posted, 
This is so sad, an absolute staple for working-class kids like myself, whose parents maybe couldn't afford to pay for extra channels like the Disney Channel. I owe so much of my childhood to CITV. I'm gutted. Wondering if there's still a place for children's television on digital terrestrial television, a user asked, CITV closing down. The digital era has really had an impact on children's television, with the consumption of shows moving to platforms like YouTube. But even with that, surely there's still a place for dedicated children's shows on digital terrestrial television. An article written by Molly Court. Glasgow Times. News. On Monday, the 21st of August. City man set to cycle 500 miles as part of a mad idea. An article written by Taylor Murray. A Glasgow man is acting on a mad idea as he looks to take on the incredible feat of cycling from Glasgow to Oxford. David Farrer, who's 32, is looking to complete the challenge in a week, starting tomorrow. The challenge is in aid of the Alzheimer's Society and to raise awareness of the disease, as well as funds to donate to the charity. And he has a close connection to the charity as his grandfather, Steve, suffers from Alzheimer's and says he understands how hard it is to see people suffer from it. Steve used to work as an engineer in the Royal Air Force. Speaking exclusively to the Glasgow Times, David said, During lockdown, I took the opportunity to go and live with my grandpa for six months. It was the early stages at the time, and we didn't know how or what was affecting my grandpa. My family all live down in Oxford, but I work and stay in Glasgow, so I had this mad idea of cycling home. The aim is to end my journey at his care home and surprise him, but to ultimately raise awareness for people as many families go through this, and it's such a hard illness to deal with. David, who is originally from Oxford, but now stays in Hindland in the West End, runs his own business mobile print studio. David says that the route he's chosen to take was picked for its picturesque moments. Over the seven days, David will be cycling from Glasgow to Edinburgh, Edinburgh to Berwick-upon-Tweed, Berwick-upon-Tweed to Sunderland, Sunderland to York, and then York to Sheffield. Once arriving in Sheffield, he'll be stopping in to see an auntie that he's not seen for some time, before completing the final two legs of his journey to Birmingham, and then his grandfather's care home in Whitney in Oxfordshire. The full journey will add up to roughly 500 miles. And David says the support of his family has been amazing, but his mum was initially worried about him tackling the task. He said, the support on my GoFundMe page so far has been amazing, as the total is sitting at £850. It's overwhelming, the messages I've had from people after I said I was doing this. My mum at the beginning was very worried about me doing this, but after discussing it more, she has given me more support than I ever could have imagined. I'm looking forward to turning up in Oxford and the surprise for my grandpa. It's all for a good cause. An article written by Taylor Murray. Glasgow Times. News. On Monday, the 21st of August. Glasgow parents fight for a school as area undergoes rapid growth. An exclusive article written by Marissa McQuirter. Families embroiled in an ongoing battle to have a secondary school built in Rob Royston fear for the safety of their children. 
A petition has been launched by parents who claim that catchment school Smithycroft Secondary in Ridry is too far away and bursting at the seams. Alana Muir, a mum whose nine-year-old son attends Wallace Well Primary, has told of her anxiety about what lies ahead for her child's secondary school education. The 38-year-old said, This is one of the biggest postcodes in Glasgow and we've got nothing. The area is located roughly three miles from the city centre and is undergoing rapid development with hundreds of new houses being built, but residents say there are not enough amenities to cope with the growing population. We previously reported that another mum from Robroyston had hit out at the lack of schools in the area after her daughter was denied a placement at All Saints Secondary in Barmulch, which is nearly two miles closer. Ms Muir, who's an NHS nurse, said... It's been a roller coaster ride and it's been emotional for a lot of us because we're at the stage where we're worried about what's going to happen to our children when they finish off primary school. Will they even get into Smithycroft? There are so many houses getting built in Rob Royston and so many more planned to be built. The capacity at Smithycroft is 1,100, with a current roll of 861, according to Glasgow City Council but a local councillor has said the school is bursting at the seams. Miss Muir has lived there all her life, but is worried about her child's safety commuting to Ridry. She said, I'm just praying that a miracle comes, that we get a secondary school and some kind of extension added on to the primary school, because it's for the future of Rob Royston as well. It's an ever-growing community. Our priority is our children, making sure they're safe and getting the best education possible and that's why we're fighting. The petition to build a school in Rob Royston has already earned over a 1,000 signatures out of their 2,000 signature goal. Councillor Thomas Ranachan, who's been helping with their fight for a school, said that families are missold moving to Rob Royston amid the strain on schools. He said, The anxiety and the stress that these families are going through, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. If you're going to Wallace Well, which is a non-denominational primary school, you're expected to go to Smithycroft, which is bursting at the seams. Parents I've spoken to are worried about their wee ones starting their first year at Smithycroft, especially if they're working full-time. And if their child misses the bus, they don't know where they are. Many parents put placing a request to schools in eastern Bartonshire because they're actually closer to Rob Royston, but the chances of success are very slim, he added. A council spokesperson said, Schools in this area are not at capacity, and school role projections are always considered in any redevelopment plans for communities, and we routinely monitor this and the range of house types. All catchment children transitioning to primary one and secondary one have places. The issue at the moment seems to have arisen because placing requests to schools out with the catchment area were refused, but there's unfortunately never a guarantee with any placing request that it will be granted. We know this can be very upsetting for families and we're supporting them with advice on travel and safe routes to school and we'll continue to work with the local community to address these concerns. An exclusive article written by Marissa McWhorter. Glasgow Times, on Monday the 21st of August. Lifestyle. Gregory's Girl Star thanks amazing Glasgow audience. An article written by Rebecca Newlands. The star of Gregory's Girl has thanked Glasgow for an amazing experience after the film made its return to the big screen.
John Gordon Sinclair, who played the love-struck teenager Gregory Underwood in the 1981 cult classic, spoke of how overwhelmed he was by the audience at the Glasgow Film Theatre. A special 4K version of the Bill Forsyth film was shown at the Rose Street venue last Thursday, and Mr Sinclair, along with some of the cast, attended the event. Mr Sinclair shared his thoughts on social media over the weekend. He said, Well, I think it's a fair assumption that I found the warmth and generosity on display a wee bit overwhelming. A huge big thank you to everyone involved, but particularly to the Glasgow audience for making the last two nights so special. You're truly amazing. Bella Bella. An article written by Rebecca Newlands. Glasgow Times. News. On Monday the 21st of August. Historic Glasgow building has been demolished. An article written by Esther Tanai. A historic Glasgow building has been demolished, but parts of it were saved. As the Glasgow Times reported at the time, the Sir John Sterling Maxwell building in Pollock Shores was to be sadly demolished on the grounds of public safety at the end of April. The 1907 unlisted property has been empty since 2011 and has been on the building's at-risk register. Its roof collapsed earlier this year. Now the structure has been knocked down. Pictures taken on the site show piles of bricks lying where the former school used to be. Some bricks and pillars, however, will be saved. This comes after a council spokesperson confirmed that stonework and other architecturally important features will be preserved and could be used in future development at the site. Local MSP Paul Sweeney described it as a beautiful piece of Glasgow's municipal heritage and urged the council to preserve the parts which are still intact. An article written by Esther Tanai. Glasgow Times. News. On Monday, the 21st of August. Homeless left on the streets due to a lack of rooms. An exclusive front-page article written by Stuart Patterson. Homeless people have been turned away by the council and left asleep on the streets. On at least four nights in the last week, people have been told there is no accommodation available. The council has a statutory duty to provide accommodation and buys up space in hotels and bed and breakfasts in the city. But in the last week, people have been told there is no more room. The Glasgow Times is aware of two men who were refused help. One man in his 50s was refused emergency accommodation on Thursday night and told to call back the following day. Our reporter was with him when he called on Friday evening, gave his details and was told someone would call back. Within 30 minutes he was contacted to be told once again there was nothing available. He asked what he should do and whether he had to sleep on the streets. He was told there was no accommodation available for him and told to call again on Saturday. On Sunday, he was still being told there was nothing, and to call again on Monday morning. The man, who we have chosen not to identify, said, They told me there's nowhere to put me. I asked if I should sleep on the streets, and they said, I'm not saying that, we just don't have anywhere for you. Last night, I just walked around the city. I'm shattered, and my legs are killing me. I saw some guys sleeping in doorways, but I can't do that. This is all new to me. I don't know what to do. 
He said he found himself with nowhere to stay after a domestic breakup and had been sleeping in someone's garden shed for a few nights, but they didn't know he was there. Then he registered as homeless. He spent one night in a car park to shelter from the rain. He said, I've had no advice or help. The man was put in touch with Homeless Project Scotland, where he went on Thursday, and they directed him to the emergency number. On Friday night, he returned there for some food and a hot drink. While there, he contacted the council service again, only to be told there was nothing available. On the same evening, the Scottish Government Housing Minister Paul McLennan was visiting the service. He was informed of the man's plight by staff, but said he couldn't do anything until Monday morning. The Glasgow Times attempted to speak to the minister, but was told to call the press office. The Glasgow Times is aware of another man who was also told on Thursday that there was no accommodation available. Alan Hamilton, Operations Manager at Homeless Project Scotland, said the situation is getting worse. He said, The last four nights in a row there's been no accommodation left. If people come to the charity at risk of rough sleeping, they put them in touch with the Council Homelessness Service. He added, We had two people on Wednesday and three on Thursday. They were left on the streets. It's a breach of the homelessness legislation and is not acceptable. We can offer a sleeping bag and a hot drink. It's shocking the council can't fulfil its duty. It's really upsetting for us as volunteers to see that. It is getting worse. This has been happening for the last month or so. A spokesperson for the Glasgow Health and Social Care Partnership said, We're aware of cases where we've been unable to provide accommodation at the point of request and continue to review these. However, these cases do not translate into an increase in rough sleeping, with people supported with alternative arrangements until accommodation becomes available. We continue to provide emergency accommodation wherever possible, including more than 40 spot purchases of hotels and bed and breakfast accommodation in this month alone. Glasgow Health and Social Care Partnership Homelessness Services are seeing an increased demand for assistance due to a variety of pressures including the cost-of-living crisis. However, we will continue to review the circumstances of anyone we are unable to offer emergency accommodation to on a case-by-case basis, while ensuring those at greatest need are supported accordingly. A Scottish Government spokesperson said, Scotland has some of the strongest homelessness legislation in the world, and local authorities have a legal duty to provide accommodation to anyone at risk of homelessness. The Scottish Government is in regular contact with both local authorities and frontline outreach teams to monitor the number of people sleeping rough and to respond to pressures. We know that preventing homelessness before it happens is critical, which is why we're providing local authorities with £30.5 million annually for their work to prevent homelessness, in addition to homelessness funding provided through the local government settlement. Separately, we're providing a total of £100 million from our multi-year Ending Homelessness Together Fund to transform the homelessness system. We also plan to introduce new homelessness prevention duties, including a duty on public bodies to ask and act about housing situations to help prevent homelessness. An exclusive front-page article written by Stuart Patterson. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 21st of August. 
Fears grow as residential unit set to close down within weeks. An article written by Stuart Patterson. A residential unit to house homeless people is to close within weeks, leading to fears of a rough sleeping. Estale House in Easterhouse has space for 40 men and is used by the City Council to place people in emergency accommodation. The unit, which is run by the Talbot Association, is due to close in early October and the City's Health and Social Care Partnership, which is in charge of homelessness services, is looking at plans to move the men to other accommodation. But with a shortage of places and the Council looking to reduce reliance on hotels and bed and breakfasts, there are fears that some could end up on the streets. Martha Wardrop, Green Councillor, has asked the Health and Social Care Partnership about the implications of the closure. She said, The partnership informed me that they had notification from the Talbot Association to close Estale House. It's very worrying when we've got a shortage of accommodation and a housing crisis. We have to retain as many places as possible for people who are homeless. I'm very concerned for the people affected and the staff who work there. Campaigners fear the closure could lead to an increase in rough sleeping in Glasgow. Sean Clarkin, campaign coordinator of the Scottish Tenants Association, said The closure of this homeless unit means that 40 homeless men could be turned out onto the streets of Glasgow or at best put into squalid hellhole hotels in the city centre all because of financial cuts to our most vulnerable citizens. This facility should be kept open, with more funding given to Glasgow Health and Social Care Partnership by the Scottish Government. It's clear that the large cuts to homeless services is severely damaging to homeless people in the city and must be reversed, with more money being given to deal with a growing housing and homeless emergency in Glasgow. A spokesperson for the Health and Social Care Partnership said... We're aware of the decision taken by the contracted provider at Estale House to terminate the support service. We're working with the provider to develop plans to secure suitable alternative accommodation for all people affected by the forthcoming closure. No one at the Talbot Association was available for comment. An article written by Stuart Patterson. Glasgow Times News. On Monday the 21st of August. Pothole breakdowns reach a five-year high. An article issued by the Glasgow Times news desk. Wet weather in July caused the number of pothole-related breakdowns to jump by nearly a fifth to a five-year high, new figures suggest. The AA said it had received 50,079 call-outs to vehicles stranded due to faults likely caused by potholes last month. That's up from 41,790 in July 2022 and is the most for that month since 2018. Common problems caused by potholes include damaged shock absorbers, broken suspension springs and distorted wheels. Met Office figures suggest last month's was the UK's sixth wettest July on record. This would have made potholes harder to spot for drivers and hindered repair work, according to the AA. Jack Cousins, Head of Roads Policy at the AA, said July's rainfall caused more headaches for drivers, with tyres, suspension and steering mechanisms all being damaged as the rain and puddles hid the potholes lurking underneath. Councils would have been hoping for a dry summer so that they could get as much repair work carried out before the real autumn and winter weather hits. 
They'll now be under more pressure to get their planned works completed before the weather really turns against them. With 2023 looking to be one of the worst years on record for pothole damage, we need to see more investment in local roads maintenance funding. As well as the financial damage to vehicles at this time of year, we also see more cyclists and motorbike riders on the roads, where the damage can sadly be fatal. A Department for Transport spokesman said it's for local authorities to maintain their highways. To help them do that, we're investing more than £5 billion from 2020 to 2025, with an extra £200 million announced at the budget in March to resurface roads up and down the country. We've also brought in new rules to clamp down on utility companies, leaving potholes behind after carrying out street works. An article issued by the Glasgow Times News Desk. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 22nd of August, from the news section, Cops create mock police station for Taggart anniversary by Rebecca Newlands. Real-life former detectives are setting up a mock police station in Glasgow as part of the creation of a special Taggart archive. Retired cops will host drop-in sessions at Glasgow Caledonian University, GCU, next month to conduct witness interviews and a bid to collect testimonies from members of the public who were involved in the long-running crime series. It coincides with the 40th anniversary of Killer, the pilot episode of the STV crime drama which ran for 27 seasons. Aired on September 6, 1983, locations featured in DCI Jim Taggart's first outing include a riverbank off Kelvinday Road, a canal bank off Maynehill Road, the Botanic Gardens, Party Cross and Sight Hill Cemetery. Anyone in Glasgow who was involved in location shoots, worked as an extra, played a corpse or provided props or expertise to the show is being urged to come forward so their stories can be captured and preserved in their archive. Carol McCallum, who is an archivist at GCU, said, What better way is there to give Glasgow and Scotland a voice in the Taggart story than through the people who loved and supported it? Giving people the chance to add their stories to the programme's legacy ensures they too have ownership of Taggart's proud heritage. It also gives us a chance to break barriers and show that archives are for everyone. We previously reported that Blythe Duff, who played Jackie Reed in the series, had donated a treasure trove of Taggart memorabilia to the university. Photographs, awards, press cuttings, rare items and around 95 original scripts were given to the archive, which supports GCU's media department. Speaking about the drop-in sessions, Blythe said... The police were always incredibly supportive of the series when we filmed and they're ready to step up to the mark and have some fun when we recreate an incident room where the public can give us witness statements and hopefully some memorabilia which will be used as evidence to corroborate their story. Ms McCallum added, Blythe's vision is completely aligned with our ethos so we are delighted she has chosen us as her partner in the creation of this people's archive. We are interested in every story Big and small, but our success in creating this new collection depends on people coming forward. Don't be shy. Step forward as a witness so current and future generations better understand this iconic crime drama. Much of the memorabilia will be on display at the incident rooms during the drop-in sessions 
and all contribu contributions will be collected and added to the display boards and maps. Sarah Brown, Creative Director of Drama at STV, said, We are so proud of Taggart and the legacy the series has left behind after 28 years on air. The show was a rich training ground for so many production crew, writers and actors in Scotland who have gone on to have successful careers in television. And the storylines, characters and murders continue to be watched by fans all around the world. We are thrilled that Glasgow Caledonian University is launching its special Taggart archive on its 40th anniversary and can't wait to hear people's stories of how the drama impacted their lives. The drop-in sessions will be held from September the 6th to 8th at the GCU Archive Centre in the Sir Alex Ferguson Library. The centre is open from 11pm to 4pm on Wednesday, September 6th, from 11am to 7pm on Thursday, December 7th, and from 10.30am to 3pm on Friday, December 8th. In the article was written by Rebecca Newlands. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 22nd of August 2023, from the news section, Drug Death Figures Released Show Glasgow Has Highest Number, article by Stuart Patterson. Glasgow has recorded the highest rate of drug deaths in Scotland, despite a drop in the total number. The latest figures show almost four deaths a week take place in the city. The official figures show a reduction across Scotland of 279, down to 1,051 deaths from 1,330 the year before. In Glasgow, the latest total was 196 deaths in 2022, down from 2021 when Glasgow saw 311 deaths, the highest total ever recorded by the city. It was an increase of 20 from the year before. Across Scotland, the record was in 2020 when 1,339 people died. Putting the reduction into historical context, the statisticians highlighted drug deaths are still more common than 20 years ago and deprived areas are more affected. National Records of Scotland, which compiles the figures, said, Despite this fall, drug abuse deaths are still more common than they were two decades ago. After adjusting for age, there were 3.7 times as many drug misuse deaths in 2022 compared with 2000. Glasgow City and Dundee City had the highest rates of drug misuse deaths over the last five years, while East Renfrewshire and Aberdeenshire had the lowest rates. Opiates and opioids, including heroin, morphine and methadone, were implicated in more than 8 out of 10 drug-related deaths in 2022. The majority of drug misuse deaths were classified as accidental poisonings, with 7% classed as intentional self-poisonings. The rate of drug poisoning deaths in Scotland was 2.7 times as high as the UK average in 2021, the most recent year that data is available for the UK as a whole. Julie Ramsey, Head of Demographic Statistics at National Records of Scotland, said, While drug misuse deaths have been rising over the last two decades, with a particularly sharp increase after 2013, today's statistics show the biggest year-on-year decrease since the series began. The statistics provide some insight into the people who are most likely to die from drug misuse. Those living in the most deprived areas of Scotland are almost 16 times as likely to die from drug misuse compared to people living in the least deprived areas. Males are twice as likely to die from drug misuse than females, 
However, the fall in deaths in 2022 was much larger for males than for females. The age profile of drug misuse deaths has become older over time. The average age of people who die from drug misuse deaths has increased from 32 in 2000 to 45 in 2022. Eleanor Whitham, Scottish Government Drugs Policy Minister, said, My sympathy goes out to all those affected by the loss of a loved one through drugs. While I am pleased to see that hundreds of families have been spared this agony and lives have been saved, Every life lost is a tragedy and the number of deaths is still too high. I will never underestimate the scale of the challenge we continue to face, including responding to new threats such as synthetic opioids and stimulant use. I can see our work across Scotland, where we have already supported 300 grassroots projects, including Back on the Road, is gathering pace, and I am grateful to all those delivering vital services. And that article was by Stuart Patterson. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 28th of August 2023, from the news section, First Minister Hamza Yousaf on Glasgow Care Home Strike Row. This article is an exclusive by Amanda Keenan. Scotland's First Minister has written to the owners of a trio of crisis-hit Glasgow care homes in a bid to avert looming strike action. Around 200 carers at the Bailiston Care Home, Cardonald Care Home and Stobhill Care Home have overwhelmingly rejected a pay offer by new owner Silverline Care amid claims they have slashed overtime rates. Now Hamza Yousaf has stepped into the row and called on executives to get around the table to try and halt the walkouts, which would be the first at care homes anywhere in Scotland. The politician's intervention comes as GMB Scotland revealed on Tuesday morning that 98% of members who took part in an official ballot earlier this month across the three facilities have voted to strike amid allegations the firm is also attempting to de-recognise the staff's trade union. The homes, where 150 residents are cared for, were previously run by the Four Seasons Group before being, before being taken over by Silverline Care earlier this year. It has subsequently passed their day-to-day operation on the Onto the Minister Care Group. Mr Yousaf has written to Mahesh Patel, Chief Executive Minister, while also paying tribute to the dedication of staff in the face of the continuing threat to their livelihoods. His letter says, Social care workers provide a vital service. Their work providing personal care and social support to residents is essential to the running of care homes that are rooted in compassion. The SNP Glasgow Polk MSP, who took credit for averting threatened NHS strikes when the Health Secretary, also voiced concern about the alleged move to de-recognise the GMB. He wrote, My own relationship with trade unions has been positive and constructive. Even when there have been disagreements, my approach has always been to continue constructive dialogue and try to find a solution. I hope the firm can offer reassurances that this will be its approach going forward. Union bosses say workers' paying conditions should have been protected during the transfer of ownership under TUPE legislation, but GMB Scotland organiser Kirsty Nimmin claims that the new management have instead tried to drive down paying conditions as well as reneging on a previous pay deal. She says the overwhelming support for strikes shows the anger that now exists among staff. She said, These people are desperately worried for the residents they care for, 
but also for their own families and their carers. The staff deserve clarity and reassurance, but instead of being plunged into continuing uncertainty and chaos, it cannot and must not go on. They appreciate Humza USAP's obvious appreciation of the job they do, and only wish the company would show the same respect for their crucial efforts. It is time for this company to reassure staff, avert these strikes and bring to an end what has been a hugely worrying time for the workers and residents. A spokesperson for Silverline said a new management team was put in place in June and, at that time, there had been an unresolved negotiation with GMB over pay rates. They also say contingency plans will be actioned should strikes proceed at any of the three homes. They added, Silverline had met with the GMB with a few to agreeing terms that were realistic within the context of the home's trading position, but the discussions ended in stalemate. Staff received a pay rise in line with the terms of the national care contracts and local market rates, and the company was still open to having discussions with a view to reaching a sensible solution. In the event of industrial action, measures will be put in, in place to ensure the continuation of quality care at each of the three homes. And the article was an exclusive by Amanda Keenan. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 22nd of August 2023, from the news section, Glasgow Gran forced to sleep on mouldy couch in damp home by Kirsty Fierick. A Glasgow Gran has been forced to sleep on a mouldy couch in her damp home. Bridget McNulty can't use her bedroom because of severe dampness at her property in Moss Park, which is now affecting her health, according to her family. The 71-year-old suffers asthma and recently has struggled with a debilitating chest infection, which her daughter, Deborah Barney, believes is being made worse by her living conditions. Bridget has been sleeping in her living room on the sofa, which has now also been infected by mould, to avoid using her room which is covered in large, black, damp spores. Wheatley Homes Glasgow maintain the property and said they are very sorry for the condition of Bridget's home. Deborah believes there have been traces of mould present at the property for years, but Wheatley Homes Glasgow claimed they were not contacted about it until July this year. The 49-year-old told the Glasgow Times, The dampness at my mum's house is really bad. It's shocking and disgusting. She is 71 and has to sleep in her in the, in the couch in her living room because her bedroom is so bad and the couch now also has mould. I think her health is suffering because of this. She has very bad asthma and a bad chest infection and I am worried about her. Deborah added, She has reported it before but nothing was done. Now her shower is also broken, which I believe was caused by the dampness. It means she has been getting taxis to other family members' homes to wash. This really isn't good enough because she has skin problems after being burned when she was younger, so we need to keep them clean every day. I just want help for my mum, but I don't think anyone is listening to us. We feel neglected and want the dampness sorted. Since being contacted by the Glasgow Times, Wheatley Homes Glasgow has arranged temporary accommodation for Bridget while they tackle the issue. They also plan to replace anything damaged by the mould and compensate the Gran for her stress and upset. A spokesperson for Wheatley Homes Glasgow said, We are very sorry. We have robust procedures in place to investigate reports of mould and damp and carry out repairs quickly. We are looking into why this took so long. 
Our repairs team visited the tenant's home Friday, August 18th to begin treatment work and arrange for a new shower. We've offered our tenant a temporary move while we get her home fixed as quickly as possible. We've also offered to replace damaged furniture and we'll compensate the tenant for the stress and upset. And that article was by Kirsty Feerick. From the Glasgow Times Tuesday the 22nd of August From the news section Paisley Nightclub Vienna's A New Scheme for Drunk Visitors Article by Rebecca Newlands A popular nightclub has introduced a new scheme to help visitors who have had too much to drink. Vienna's in Paisley wants to give clubbers who have overindulged the opportunity to still enjoy their night out without having to leave but without giving them any more alcohol. To do this, the new street venue is giving punters a last orders badge which they will wear so bar staff will know not to serve them alcohol. The scheme, aiming to protect club revellers, will come into effect from this Friday night, the Paisley Daily Express reports. Vienna's manager Stephen Adams told the paper, If a customer is showing the signs of being a bit too intoxicated, instead of just ejecting them from the club, we will have our stewards or on-site medic evaluate them and provide them with a UV necklace with an attached last orders badge. The customer will then not be served any alcohol, but will be entitled to free bottled water or soft drinks. It also means they can stay in the venue with their friends, as opposed to having to make their own way home. Within the club, there is their on-site medic there if needed, and, from a safety aspect, there are 20 stewards and 33 CTV cameras as well as having direct communication with emergency services. They will be far safer in the club than wandering the streets trying to get home alone or struggling to get a taxi by themselves. The way I see it is, if a customer works for a week and spends their hard-earned money with us, we shouldn't just dismiss them. The industry has a duty of care. For example, if you go into a fast food outlet, they don't cut you off if you decide to have too many burgers and chips. We value our customers, so if they have paid their entry fee, they should be able to stay and enjoy the music and atmosphere, while still being with their group of friends. Obviously, there is an element of trust involved, and anyone found abusing or trying to circumvent the policy would no longer be able to take advantage of the second chance opportunity. But we feel we have a great connection with our customers, and they will welcome this. And that article was by Rebecca Newlands. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 22nd of August, news. Police called to unexplained death near block of flats by Rebecca Newlands. A man has been found dead near a block of flats, sparking a police probe. 999 crews headed out to Alexander Path in the Motherwell area after the alarm was raised in the early hours of Sunday morning. Cops arrived at around 1.05am following a concern for a person report. A 22-year-old man was found and he was pronounced dead at the scene. An investigation has been launched into his death, which officers are currently treating as unexplained. A police Scotland spokesperson said, We were called around 1.05am on Sunday, August 20, to report of a concern for a person in the Alexandra Path area of Motherwell. Emergency services attended and a 22-year-old man was pronounced dead at the scene. The death has been treated as unexplained and inquiries are ongoing to establish the full circumstances.
And that article was by Rebecca Newlands. Evening Times, August 23. Lifestyle. Glasgow letters reveal what Lord Provost's wife really thought of New York. Exclusive by Michael Gallagher of the Glasgow City Archives. Glasgow and New York are linked in many ways through commerce, culture and even layout, being grid-like cities that grew up around their rivers. In February 1939, these links were strengthened when the Mayor of New York, Fiorello La Guardia, wrote to Patrick Dolan, Glasgow's Lord Provost, inviting him to attend the World's Fair being held in the city that summer. Dolan promptly accepted, delighted for the opportunity to further the happy relations between the democratic cities of New York and Glasgow. In July, a civic delegation including Dolan, his wife Agnes, and a dozen or so Glasgow Corporation officials left the Broomielaw bound for the Big Apple. They travelled on board the RMS Transylvania and enjoyed a pleasant crossing, although Agnes later recalled a moment of terror when an enormous rumbling sound caused panic among the passengers who feared they had struck an iceberg. As it turned out, the noise was caused by staff in the restroom above moving some chairs. After a nine-day voyage, the Glaswegian group was received in New York by an official welcoming party, including pipers naturally, and hundreds of fellow Scots who cheered their arrival. The Lord Provost embarked wearing his robes and chain of office, which the New York Times made a point of valuing at $1,500 and $7,500 respectively. Dolan later remarked, The Americans like to have financial values placed on everything. Dolan spent 16 days in New York and was keen to stress that it was a work trip, not a holiday. He and his officials met their American counterparts in planning, housing, health and other municipal functions and reported back to the corporation on lessons learned. Writing in the Evening Times, Dolan composed a series of articles on the visit, noting that he worked for 15 hours each day and visited every municipal department available to him travelling more than 2,400 miles around the city and beyond. He was given access to offices in the New York City Pavilion at the World's Fair and spent six days at the event. Comparing the spectacle with the 1938 Empire Exhibition held in Glasgow, he called the New York Extravaganza a marvellous enterprise but not so pleasing artistically as Bella Houston. Dolan found more comparisons between the Big Apple and his homeland. Broadway was New York's version of Argyll Street, and Fifth Avenue was simply the American answer to Great Western Road. 
Whilst Coney Island is a popular adaptation of Danoon and Rossi at the Glasgow Fair. Elsewhere, Agnes Dolan visited some of the city's famous department stores and declared them inferior to those in Buchanan Street or Suckingall Street. Glasgow shops are preferred by me, she noted. The delegation stayed at the famous Waldorf Astoria Hotel and enjoyed its hospitality immensely. References to the famous hotel have been frequent at recent meetings in the city, wrote the Lord Provost to staff there upon his return to Glasgow. As well as being a fact-finding mission, the trip took on added significance as the clouds of war gathered across Europe in the summer of 1939. It acquired a diplomatic element since the USA was determined to stay out of any conflict. Much hinged on the personalities of Dolan and LaGuardia, his counterpart in New York, and in some respect, the second most powerful man in the country. LaGuardia and Dolan were in many ways kindred spirits, the children of immigrants. They were both hardened political campaigners with a gift for rhetoric and ran their respective complex municipal machines through the power of personality. We became friends at sight, Dolan later recalled, and the feeling was mutual. Pat Dolan is a swell guy, remarked LaGuardia after their first meeting. He is just like me. The pair continued to correspond after the outbreak of war. In one letter held at Glasgow City Archives, LaGuardia wrote to Dolan, In the midst of your burdens and anxieties, I want you to know what we think about you. LaGuardian and Dolan both left their mark on their local built environments, but in different ways. While one gave his name to a major New York airport, the other had an East Kilbride swimming pool named in his honour. Report from Michael Gallagher of the Glasgow City Archives. Evening Times, August 22. Lifestyle. Woman's tribute to dear mum who worked in famous Glasgow shop. Report by Anne Fotheringham. A Times past reader who worked in Glasgow's famous golden spinning wheel shop has died just a few months before her 100th birthday. Jane Davis, whose memories of the John Smith & Company wool store on Sucky Hall Street helped the original owners uncover long-forgotten merchandise, passed away on August 12. Daughter Carol said, My dear mum had been ill for several weeks. She would have been 100 on January 5, so she did very well indeed. She was very touched by the newspaper articles and kept them safely. Carol got in touch with the Glasgow Times as she helped her mum compile memories of her life and work in Scotland and England. Jane had mentioned a shop called Smith's, which had a spinning wheel on its shop front beside Daly's department store, 
but Carol could find no mention of the place. We did a bit of digging and found a reference to the John Smith and Company wool shop, which seemed to be in the right place. Carol then tracked down a book called My Dear Old Glasgow Years by Walter Bernardini, who designed the adverts for the store, and she said, Lo and behold, there was a photo of the shop with a spinning wheel on the front. I showed my mum, and she was so pleased. John Smith and Company had many shops across Scotland, selling high-quality wools and knitting and embroidery patterns. The Glasgow advert points knitting fans in the direction of 219 Sucky Hall Street at the sign of the golden spinning wheel. Jane was born in Canterbury in January 1924 and she had two brothers Stanley and Tim and a sister who sadly died as a baby. She moved to Glasgow where she met William Davis who was in the Highland Light Infantry. The couple married at Maryhill Barracks in June 1943. Later they moved to Catterick Camp in the north of England, where Carol and her brother Stuart were born. William sadly died in 2001. After our article was published, Fergus Napier, whose family owned the business, got in touch. He told us, I was so touched to read Jane's memories. I dug out the old boxes of advertising material, logbooks and merchandise, to see what I could find. The first thing I saw was the wages ledger from 1941, and on the first page I opened, there was Carol's mum's name, Miss Lane and her salary, which was £1, 12 shillings and sixpence per week. It was quite something to see the huge numbers of people employed back then, not just sales staff, but waitresses in the tea room, night watchmen. Incredible. I loved working there, although by the time I joined, it was quite old-fashioned. A bit like Grace Brothers in Are You Being Served? We had 26 shops all over Scotland by then. Fergus kindly sent Jane a box of merchandise produced by the store, including a gold-covered brochure all about its history from the 50s, a teapot used in the tea room, engraved with the famous spinning wheel image, and a pair of earrings engraved with JS, which were made to celebrate 200 years of trading. At the time, Carol said, My mum is so delighted. We can't thank Fergus enough. It has all brought back so many memories for my mum, who recognised a few of the names in the ledger. It's really wonderful. John Smith and Company first opened on High Street in 1796. The golden spinning wheel arrived in 1900, and it became the firm's trademark. Its first Sucky Hall Street branch opened in 1909 and the site Jane Davis worked in next to Daly's department store opened in 1929. Its tea room was a Glasgow institution. This was a state-of-the-art building with, water, with hot water radiators 
supplied by an oil-heated boiler, one of the first in the city, fire sprinklers and an alarm system, and electric refrigerators and cash tubes. Fergus added, It's been great to look back at the history of the shop, and it's all thanks to Carol and Jane. Carol said, It was amazing that the articles prompted Fergus Napier to get in touch. People were very kind, and my mum really appreciated all the effort that was put in. We have copies of the articles as keepsakes, and so do her ten grandchildren, so they certainly brought a lot of pleasure. Report by Anne Fotheringham Andrew Whale, 25th of November 1940 to the 18th of August 2023 Following a short illness, we are saddened to advise of the passing of Andrew Whale, husband to Margaret, father to Stephen and Matthew. But to those of us at Kuhn Review Print Speaking to the Blind, Andrew was a mainstay of our reading team. Born in London and the former Director of Library Services at the University of Glasgow, it was his membership of Campsie Parish Church and wider church community that meant he and Margaret could ensure local people living with sight loss heard about our daily talking newspaper podcasts. Moore Mackay, our former Director of Operations, said today, his command of language and lovely voice was a joy for me and our listeners. Morag went on to say that she valued his unfailing willingness to help, his constant courtesy and patience with her. This must have been a real trial at times. Over lockdown, he learned a raft of new skills to keep the service going. Alistair McPhee, our managing editor, said, While our volunteer readers are now loving the convenience of reading from home, one of my biggest regrets is not seeing team members in person each week. The friendship that Margaret and then Andrew offered me over many years will not be forgotten. Andrew was the newbie reader of the Whale family team, and I especially loved the interactions between Margaret and Andrew in the studio corridor. Margaret being the boss and passing on her digital recording and microphone technique to her apprentice, Andrew. Margaret would usually finish first, meaning I got to spend time with her for a coffee and a blether until Andrew came out of the studio, never understanding why Margaret always finished first. Far be it from me to imply that the boss had got him to do the longer articles, or even worse, the more complicated names. Obviously, far more likely was that Margaret's years of experience as an English teacher before joining around 20 years ago as a key team member was the real reason. Over 10 years ago, when we were looking for voices to record the members' magazine for the charity English Heritage, there was only one team that Morag was going to approach to be the core of the project. We so appreciated their commitment, ensuring there were no mistakes and little editing to be done. Andrew was one of the first team members to sign up as lockdown started to record from home. Andrew and Margaret joined Roddy, our lockdown producer, in learning yet more digital recording techniques through online training sessions. With Andrew's passing, 
Margaret has indicated that she will also retire, a sentiment we understand and appreciate. Our listeners and your colleagues will miss you both. That concludes this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our channels at Review and to tell your friends about our service.